0: productions. Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our
1: students' experience.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 66 of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. In this episode, we have James Skidmore. James is the director at the Waterloo Center for German Studies in the University of Waterloo. James and I sit down, we share some space, talk about what's going on in his area of expertise in regards to online learning, asynchronous, synchronous, and all things in between. And then we get into a really good discussion about ungrading. Such a good conversation that I think we're going to bring James back for another episode to kind of follow up and things that we've been talking about in regards to ungrading in this current term anyway sit back relax enjoy grab a cup of coffee go for a walk do what you need to do but thanks very much for listening to this episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast we appreciate you taking the time we'll catch you on the other side Hey everybody! Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It is my honor to have with us James Skidmore from the University of, of, of uh, Waterloo. And uh, James, I won't take up too much time introducing you. How about you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, and then we'll pick up with the uh, with the uh, the rest of our time together.
1: Happy to. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's a real. It's a pleasure to be here. So thanks. I appreciate being asked to. to... <laughs> to, be, to be able to stand up on a bully and just sort of <laughs> say things. <laughs> so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, so I'm James Skidmore. A lot of people call me Skid or James. Uh, and I'm a, a prof at the University of Waterloo. I'm in German studies at the University of Waterloo. I, um, I, my, my sort of uh, home field is German literature and film of the 20th, 21st centuries. I'm quite interested in representation of political and social change. In those medium media, and I uh, uh, and I'm director of a research institute at the University of Waterloo, the Waterloo Center for German Studies, which is you know does sort of um, we do funding and research projects in all things German. And my other um, my other uh, role or my other kind of interest as a as an educator as a prof at the university. Is in online and open education. So I've done a lot of, I've done online teaching for the past 15 plus years and uh, created three or four or five, six courses in uh, like online courses. And so I've done a lot of work on that. I'm especially interested in course design and, and structure, things like that. And then I'm also open and I'm also interested in open education and open educational practices and resources um, kind of grew out of my interest in online education. And it, then in Ontario, I became involved with eCampus Ontario. I was a, a an OE, like an open education fellow with eCampus Ontario and things like that. So I became interested in it uh, in that regard and it uh, it fits so well with the kind of some of the things i'm trying to do in online education that yeah so now i kind of consider myself a a practitioner of both
0: very cool so how did you get started in uh, German literature, like it doesn't seem to me like something that, you know, a lot of people are just driving through the doors to get into. Well, <laughs> you
1: know they should be. <laughs> they should be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's, um, everyone asks me that. And, uh, there's often the same, well, you're not German. So what are you doing in, uh, in, um, in that? But you know, that's, that's beside the point. I, um, uh, so I grew up in Saskatoon. And uh, when I finished high school, I wanted to take a a kind of a gap year. We didn't call it a gap year back then. We called it not going to university year. (laughs) Uh, And um, uh, I was familiar with the Rotary Youth Exchange Program. So we had Rotary Youth Exchange students in our school. We had a, a guy from Brazil I remember hanging out with and a couple other people. So I became interested in that and I applied. And they accepted me and they came back to me and said, okay, we can, we have two options for you in terms of where to go for your program. I said, great. Where, where would it be? And they said, New Zealand or Germany. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, and I, and I do not, I did not speak German at the time. I had, I knew nothing about Germany. The only thing I knew about Germany is what every 17 year old kid knew about Germany, you know, Nazis and all that stupid stuff. And I thought, well, I can get to New Zealand on my own. I can speak English. Maybe I should go to Germany and just try that. So I did. And so I went to Germany, lived there for a year, uh, attended high school, uh, lived with with three or four different families. Rotary kind of rotates you through different families. Uh, It was really hard at the beginning because I didn't speak German. I felt like a fish out of water. I'd, I'd never really, I'd been, I'd been to Ottawa and Quebec once in my life that's and other than that i'd never been out uh, i'd never been east of manitoba uh, i'd never been south of you know regina you know and so i was just well no i had been because i've been to vancouver so i had okay. been south yeah. of regina but i'd never been to the states or anything so i was just i was completely you know, i was uh, really out of it and learning german was tough and trying to and, and just being like thrown into the deep end of a language i don't recommend it to anyone but it really it it was quite the experience for me a year later come back to canada start university at the university of saskatchewan and i'm taking courses and this that and the other thing and not quite sure what i want to do and i just realized but i was taking german because i really wanted to you know start started learning i really needed to learn it properly and i started it then started to to gel and then and then i took a i started taking i was taking literature courses in english and i was taking some french courses i was starting to learn like to really learn french take some french literature courses and german literature courses and i just became really interested in literature and then when it came uh, i just had the opportunity then uh, basically the the chair of the german program came to me and just kind of he basically just offered me an ma he said come on do an ma with us we'll we have money for you etc and that uh, I was really lucky, and that kind of brought me into into the into an MA in German as opposed. I, I did a, my BA was French and German, but that brought me into the German. And my BA could have been French, German, and English if I, you know, taken another half a year or something. So, so that's how I got into it, and then and then I went down to the states to do my PhD, and um, yeah, and that's how I got into German. It's and it's it's just it's really it was that one you know deciding whether I wanted to go to a country you know known for sheep or a country known for you know beer <laughs> and I was a 17 well that's year a no brainer on my plane right <laughs> yeah exactly and I, yeah, you know so and now you know about my about my you know decision making process how it hey, works well, you know can't say it'd be any different than mine <laughs> yeah, yeah well you know, oh, man, I, you know, and what an experience I mean. Yeah. I'm. I'm still. I'm very close still to one of the families I lived with. You know, forty really? over forty years ago. Yeah, I the the the, the my host we, in Germany. You say your Gastvater and your Gastmutter, your host father, your host mother. My host father from this one family, he just died um two months ago, and I was heartbroken, and I couldn't, I couldn't go. You know, and I was texting with the host mother every day, and the kids. I know the parents better than the kids, but you know we're. And I was, I felt so I, that's where the pandemic really hit home for me was the inability then to, 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 to be close to the people you, you cherish. But that, those kinds of connections, I mean, that's to have a kind of a second. And a, there was another family I was very close to as well, but the, the parents that passed away a number of years ago, but to have that kind of, to have that opportunity that to develop those kinds of, uh, uh, friendships or kinships even. Yeah. Really special.
0: So. So put this in a little bit of historical context with for me without okay. giving away your age a little bit. so when well, when you go to Germany, is there still east and west, and, and is there still yep. the wall there?
1: Yep. What was yep. that like? That was, that was that was really interesting. So we uh, the Rotary arranged a trip to take us uh, all us, uh, Rotary Austo Schuler, the exchange kids to Berlin, and so we spent a week in Berlin, and so we, and we spent a day we, we spent a day where we went to East Berlin. You could get visas, you'd you'd pay twenty-five marks at that time. I don't I can't remember what that would have been in dollars, but you know, you pay this visa fee and you you go across the border as and as a Canadian, you're allowed to do this and you could sp- spend the day there and you and you and you basically this twenty-five marks, you you exchange the West German mark for the East German mark at one to one. Now the real exchange rate was one to four, one West German mark for four East German marks. But this was a way for East Germany to get western exchange and we spent the we spent the day there and what and and that day i'll never forget this 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 is a short little story but it it, talk about an interesting experience for a 17 year old or 18 maybe at that no i was still 17 at that time i think anyways went to a restaurant with a couple of the other kids we uh, together one of them named hilly a guy from texas he's passed away just a couple of years ago but nicest funniest guy And we're in this restaurant and we we order beer and lunch and they bring us the beer and whatever. And he's, he grabs his glasses. So these glasses don't seem very strong and he breaks the glass (gasps) beer and the beer goes everywhere, (laughs) the glass and everything. And the waiter comes over and the waiter's really upset because it's such a mess and he has to clean it up, et cetera. So that's all taken care of. End of the meal. We asked for the, the, the bill. We got the bill. We pay the bill. And you pay right at the table to the, to the waiter in cash. And he goes away and we're looking at the bill and we're saying that, that doesn't make that, that doesn't add up, right? This is, we've been overcharged. And when we're discussing this, we're trying to figure it out. And a man comes over to us and he says, are you having a problem with your bill? Like another customer, he got up from his table. He was leaving. He came over and he said, are you having a problem? He said, well, we just don't think this adds up. And he said, give me the bill. We hand him the bill. He walks over to the waiter, hands him the bill. Takes out his wallet, shows his ID to the man, walks out of the restaurant. The waiter comes back to us and gives us change back. He gives us the he overcharged us. Oh, now I am no fan of authoritarianism. Yeah, uh, I've studied a lot now about East Germany and about how that government worked mm-hmm. and how it um, how it uh, impinged on the freedoms of its people in many respects and right. you know dissidents and that. But. There's some good sized authoritarianism. Sure. And one of them is, you know, you 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 uh, it's a well it's a horrible example of how you keep people in line.
0: Yeah, but it's no kidding. but
1: it it that was that was eye-opening for me.
0: Wow and, then,
1: and that and then later I I developed um one of the families I was living with, their son was my age, a little bit younger than me, his godparents lived in East Germany in Leipzig. So we, he and I went to visit his godparents and the extended family, like a kind of a three-generation family. And one of the kids, they were very active in the Lutheran church, this family. So we went with the kids to kind of a bubble, a Bible study evening at their church. And we would talk, we'd have to introduce ourselves in this circle. We'd go around and so Gerhard, my host brother. He, yeah, I'm Gerhard von Eiken and I'm from Essen. And, oh, wow, that's great. You're from Essen. People were, you know, excited a little bit because a guy from, you know, West Germany. And then I, and then I said, yes, and I'm James Skimmer and I'm from Canada. And the room just exploded into applause. I, I never, I have never had that kind of reception in my life, <laughs> especially because I have done, and I've done nothing to deserve it. Yeah. And it was, and it was because it, People were so cut off. You know, there was no internet. There was none of this, this yeah. is 1980. Yeah. Things were so cut off that you, that just to have, to, to have somebody from, 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 as they say, Druben from over there mm-hmm. visiting was a huge experience. And so after the, after the, 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 the event or whatever, the, 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 the the evening, then there's kind of a reception, or just sort of you know sitting around and chatting. Everybody coming over to talk to me and ask me questions and this that yeah, it was. I've never experienced that before.
0: Wow, that's yeah. amazing. No, yeah, no kidding that that would still leave an impression on you, right? I mean, oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I can still see that uh that waiter, the look of you know, oh my gosh, and he comes over quickly with the with you know the money. I can still, I can still hear that applause from that evening. I was that's so amazing. Yeah.
0: That is very amazing. Did you watch any soccer while you were over there?
1: In Germany? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite, yeah. One of my host families was a fan of the Essen team, which isn't it's sort of, well now it's fight to Bundesliga. And I think even then it was at one point it was asked, it was in the top league, but it's yeah. dropped down. And so we, we went to a couple of games and yeah, those are pretty, I'm not a big fan of the, of crowds, going so crazy that you think they're going to trample you. I'm not a big fan of that, but it was, but yeah, it, it, to, to be able to experience those things live, like you can watch it on TV and you get a sense of it, but there's, there's always something different about being there directly. Right. And we're, 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 seeing that now in education, right? <laughs> because we we're, we're. but that's, that's something that really, um, yeah. Those going to soccer matches and things like that. Uh, great opportunity.
0: yeah no kidding my son went to europe to uh to play soccer and uh yeah and uh he's back now he didn't stay very long because it it, it wasn't his gig but Mm -hmm. uh he he went and played in in belgium and amsterdam uh, amsterdam a little bit and then they went to germany and they they played a bunch of tournament games in germany and uh they they got to tour uh breezy dortmund's facility oh yeah uh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. so he's my son's a big um Bayern munich fan but um
1: oh yeah 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 has he yeah. been to the has he been to the um the new arena in munich the one that you know no, the no, big they, bubble? that's an amazing stadium. yeah
0: yeah i yeah, know he hasn't been to munich um but yeah he was saying the same <laughs> thing like <clears throat> they would they went to the i think they were playing i can't remember how many tiers i think it was playing third tier mm-hmm. and uh and they had their own, they had their own like clubhouse and this whole smorgasbord <laughs> set up, and and he was just like, "I, you, you do this every game, or is this just for us?" And they're like, "No, we do this
1: every time we get
0: together. Like wow, every time yeah. they played it, and it was it was just amazing. It blew his socks off." But um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah soccer's, so cool. Soccer is religion over there. That's oh right.
0: <laughs> yeah, anywhere in Europe really, but um, yeah, very very cool. And so you you now uh, are teaching at the University of Waterloo. And uh, you are in uh, German studies and German lit and German movies. Um, And you're interested in online teaching. And you Mm -hmm. said you've been doing online now for, for over a decade, (laughs) probably probably before there was a such thing as online learning.
1: Before there was an internet. (laughs) No, I was, well, yeah, I, I started at Waterloo in 2000 and At that time, Waterloo was still doing correspondence courses and Waterloo's always been big in the correspondence and now in the online education game. But they were big in they were they were, I think, Canada's largest correspondence school, maybe other than maybe um, Athabasca. And they um, and so when I started in 2000 and just at that time, they were starting to develop they were just beginning in that that year and the next couple of years to start developing online courses. And they'd even developed, the university had developed its own learning management system called UW-1. And uh, so when I first got involved, it, we were using UW-1. And the thing about UW-1 is that I could design the course and author the course, but I couldn't do any of the actual, I couldn't change anything. I couldn't, if I wanted as something to look different or to, I had asked somebody to do it. And then, uh, and then around 2004 or five, um, UW then went, uh, they then went with Angel, which is now part of Blackboard. And they, uh, and they went with Angel. And so, so the first courses that I then could really author on my own kind of were then through Angel, and then in 2010 we switched to Brightspace, well D2L, which is a local company I, it started by a, a UW. Uh, I don't know if he graduated, but he was in UW engineering, and uh, and so then we we were went to the learning management system they were offering, um, and um, it was an open competition kind of thing, and. And so we've been using D2L since. But yeah, so I started with this UW one, which in many ways the design of it was really good. I I always it, I think par- partially how it was designed in terms of the the structure of how things would look on a screen um, left a really good impression on me. And and you see it in some. Are you familiar with Contensus? It's yeah it, it had that kind of look to it a little bit. Yeah. With, you know, good, really, really good left hand navigation system and, and that kind of, you know, the, the navigation bar on the left, that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Very cool. And so, um, what have you, what have you learned about online learning in the last number of months since we've done this pancake turn? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the great pivot of 2020. The great,
0: pivot, the great pancake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, pancake, yeah, well. Yeah. Fell on our faces. Um, I've learned a couple of things. I've um I've learned that uh what have I well one thing I've learned for sure is that the the asynchronous approach, which I've been, which I had been doing up until this point, is still valid. I thought that with the with the the pivot and coming at the same time as you know this kind of technology that we're using right now to talk to each other had really solidified and really come into its own really in the past say five years. Um, that that would put asynchronous learning on the outs. It would it would kind of kick it to the curb and everything would have to be would, people would want people would want synchronous. It may be difficult to do. Because it's just the, the 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 scheduling and with the pivot, of course, uh, so many teaching centers, etc. We're recommending no, no, go to asynchronous because it's 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 easier to manage. Um, but I f- I found then teaching in the fall in the winter terms I'm teaching asynchronously with some synchronous elements, i.e., we do have some events that are live that students can attend, but all optional in my case. I found that that it's still it, it works. It works well. Um, A lot of students appreciate it. They they realize that the that it's possible to have synchronous teaching and learning that's engaging if it's well structured, if it's well designed, and that that really came home for that came home for me, especially in the fall term, last fall terms, fall term 2020 where I taught a grad seminar, a grad course in online teaching and learning. I'd never taught such a course before, but we saw in the spring that, you know, we knew which way things were headed. And I offered, I said, well, you know, I do a lot of online teaching and I could teach an online a course on how to teach online. And I was slated to teach a grad course in our program. And, uh, and so the department said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's that skid do that. And I did that. And so, and so a lot of those grad students came in, they, and we opened it up to, you know, we had students from other couple of different universities and different programs within the university. And so it wasn't a German course. It was basically just, you know, general introduction to online teaching and learning. And at the end of the term uh, in having kind of a final discussion with the students, one of their biggest take, I said, so let's talk about takeaways. What are you know, basically your question? What have you taken? You know, what's what's left an impression on you? And again and again and again, the student said, yeah, didn't think it was possible. But asynchronous learning works really well. I felt engaged. I did not feel, uh, you know, uh, alone or apart or, you know, marginalized. And so that to me was really it was really reassuring. Because it, it, it indicated to me that you can create really valuable educational experiences that don't have to depend on me kind of animating the show. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most engaging person, <laughs> frankly, and I'm kind of a dull guy. And, and so I've I'm, I'm always been a bit nervous about having to be sort of at the center of a, attention. And and that's and that's what I really like about asynchronous learning is that it, it it kind of it 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 does what we want flipped classrooms to do, right? It puts the content you know, front and center and kind of gets people focusing on that and and getting the students to 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 take on more of the kind of the 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 medium to heavy lifting of learning. And I thought that the I to hear that from students was really reassuring. And I, and I, and this term I have, I'm teaching a course, and I've been asking students, I've been doing some uh, sort of midterm kind of check-ins with them this uh, past week. And I've been asking them, so how are you feeling about how the course is run? You know, we have, we, it's a, it's a book on, it's a, it's a course on, on that has film and literature in it. Uh, and so I and we, so the the live elements are called book club and film club. And so these are optional for the students where I then pose a couple of questions about the film or the book under discussion that week. And, and you know, we talk about it, in kind of, a, just a, in a kind of an easygoing fashion. And I said, you know, so we, it was this largely asynchronous courses. And, and again, and again, the students are saying, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've appreciated it uh, because it's, 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 you know, I, yeah, it's, it's worked well and I'm, and I'm sick of zoom and I don't like sitting in a, you know, looking at a screen with a uh, whole bunch of faces and just you know the, and it, you know when you see those large you know gatherings of people in zoom and you know oh my gosh they all look so bored and they all <laughs> look so you know and they, all of that so so it's a very depressing thing now that that leads me to the second thing i've learned and that is how much how important and this is this just again this reaffirms something that i'd always kind of thought but reaffirmed for me, and and just this past week, talking to students, I say, so if you like the, if you, so, you're saying to me you like the course. Okay, that's nice. But can you can you see specifically what is it about the course that you're that's that, that that's you know engaging you? Is it the content? Is it the this that the other? And the content's very interesting. It's about human rights and atrocities, and so people are you know kind of emotionally invested. But they again and again they said just how clearly and well structured the course is. And I'm not doing that to pat myself on the back, but it just it reminds me, and it's something that I was telling my students last term when I was teaching that grad seminar course design is crucial in an online environment. In a classroom environment you can you can you can get by with lousy course design because you go in every day and you explain things to students. here you find this here and you do this there and that, but in an online environment, you don't have the possibility of doing that you don't you can't rely so much on your congenial personality to to win students over to your you know to to engage in the course and and so they 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 really were grateful for for the course how how the way I've set it up and the 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 clarity of the structure they they were saying one of the students said you should teach other profs how to do how to do this (laughs) I said well I've been doing that I said they're not they're obviously not listening to me oh yeah you know you can't the courses are not set up, but I can't find anything. And, you know, she was having a bit of a rant, but it was, that really surprised me. It surprised me in a way. And I thought, gee, people, don't people see that, but maybe they just don't, they don't see that. And that, and that, so if you, you know, people say, well, online teaching doesn't work. I didn't like my online courses. So they are no, well, how well, how well were they structured? How was it put together? How did it, you know, if you had a really good one, in terms of structure and that would you have been happier about the online uh, learning experience? And I think you would have been. So that, those are, those are two, that's a long way of saying those are two big takeaways for me that asynchronous works and, and, you know, course design, you, you know, give it some thought, like put, put some effort into the course design.
0: So let's spend some time there. Let's break this down a little bit because, mm-hmm. uh, um, When I, when I hear clear design or good course design, I I think I have my own perception and idea what might that, what might that look like, but can you break this down for us a little bit? So Mm -hmm. how would I make my course clear and, and easy to navigate?
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's not that there's just one way to do that. And that's, and then I'm not saying that my way is the, the only way to do it or anything but I think you have to, you have to think about it. And I think the first thing you have to do is you have to try to look at it with the eyes of the student. And you have to look at it and say, okay, if can I, as a student come into this course, and if I've been told go do this, can I find where that thing is and do it? And um, so, so there's a, a couple of things that I've done that I think work well. And I'll tell you those, but I'm not at all saying they're best practices. I'm saying they're practices that have worked in my context of, you know, what I've been. So one of them is that, uh, so I, and we are, our, our LMS is, is D2L. Um, last when I did the grant seminar, I taught in teams, which is a little, that's a harder thing for people to get up and running in as students in terms of just figuring out their way once they do they see the value of it but it's that's a little trickier but so we're using d2l brightspace at Waterloo, and so i um i i use the module system so that's pretty common so you 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 have your you have basically your left hand navigation menu in your in the content section and so i drive students to the content section i try to get them to go Go, You know, there are many paths lead to Rome. And so they can go to, th- to things through the discussions tab or they can go through the submit tab and things like that. But I try to, I try to orient them to using the content tab and following that because you, um, you have that left-hand uh, um, navigation structure. And I use the module system. So I set up the module so that, that the, there's a syllabus. And then the the content modules. So in the course that this term that we're teaching, we we read novels from different countries: the South Africa, Germany, Canada, the United States, Argentina. And so we so each country has its module. And so Canada, and then and I put right on there, I put the dates that that module is active, in the sense that of what you know what we're going to be you know you know. During these three weeks of the term, it's Canada, <laughs> so you should be you should be doing these things. And then I set up then within that module, I set up different kinds of activities. And I I I in some courses I create kind of a learning pathway where you do this one first, this one second, this one third. I, <clears throat> pardon me. In the course right now that we're doing, um, I'm not doing it. Um, So I'm not doing it exactly like that, but I'm but I'm creating groups of different things that I want them to do. There's kind of four four groupings within that module, Um, and so I have a a, activities grouping. Uh, They have a they get a dialogue partner for each module. It's kind of a peer that they can work with on anything they want. So they get their own little kind of discussion space. So there's the activities, there's the dialogue. Then I have what are called the profcasts, which are uh, my TA and I do interviews kind of like what we're doing right now. We do discussions on the on the works and we and and the students can listen to those and they they get their own little chunk of grouping. And then they have a, they have an, an essay due every for each module. And so that the essay is a kind of that final chunk. Now, the, that essay, of course, they so when they get when they go in through the Canada and then they go essay and they click on that, they go to the Dropbox all of the all the rest of the content is 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 built right into the discussion forums so the activities so instead of creating like html like web pages where you here's here's a reading here's a link to that reading and now go over there to the discussion forum and answer a question about it all of that is right in the discussion forum so that when they're when they're when they when they go in and they click on it, they go straight into the discussion. Now that seems like, well, what's the big it's not that much of a difference, is it? No, but yes.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> kidding. A great, yeah. There's a great
1: German word, yin, which is yes and no together. Yin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and 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 the advantage is that they, that there's kind of a direct connection between the the reading or the the activity portion and the and the and the activity the discussion question that i want them to to you know to be involved in to, to create that kind of discussion or the you know the the podcast that we've created and then that's that's embedded right into the discussion forum and then they can there's a question that ends the podcast and then they can discuss that question and that helps students feel like they're they're they they feel like they're clicking less they're they can't get lost they're they're right there and and that has worked really well that has been, that has been one of my favorite ways of, um, of, um, uh, creating and, and structuring the content.
0: Yeah. No, I really like that. Eliminating the amount of times they have to jump from one thing to another, you know, pretty soon you create this web of confusion, but if you can just have them all in this one central location where yeah. it's all there yeah. and then they have one click to get there and it's all laid out for them like that. That's, that's yeah. brilliant. I love that.
1: Yeah. So I think, so that's a simple, that's just a simple trick. And and again, it's based on the idea of trying to, to look at it as a student and what would, and what, what's the best kind of user experience, right? This UXDL kind of stuff is important. I yeah.
0: think. Do you keep, do you keep in mind when you're doing your course design uh, mobile applications or do you just not worry about that and let the, let the LMS take care of that?
1: Well the D2L doesn't isn't great in terms of mobile application. I'll, I have to I have the, they have an app called Pulse and I I have it on my phone to see what things look like. And their design is their design is like like partially responsive, you know, but not I think it could be better. Um, I think are a lot of students using mobile devices to do their work, that I'm not sure. I was thinking of actually asking them um, this term like when they uh, I, I do a separate kind of evaluation where I just ask them for information on the actual course and I was thinking of asking them how how do they access the content I suspect most will say laptops
0: yeah I think um, you're right I think you're right I mean I, I teach some part-time studies courses and uh, we use d2l at our institution mm-hmm. and um, and uh, the I, I kind of do a uh, a blended approach. So I'll have some asynchronous stuff. And then I actually lecture for about 30 minutes oh, yeah. and, uh, and I'll use the bongo application and
1: oh uh, yeah, yeah. Cause that's yeah. built into built right in there. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Do, do you use that uh, application or do you do, do you uh, not do any live stuff at all?
1: When I do live stuff, I tend to use zoom. Um, I don't know why I don't use bongo to be quite honest. I think, I think Zoom, I think Bongo limits the number of like open cameras, right? They they have a, yeah, there's that. And um, no, I've just used, I've, I've only, I've used Zoom or with, when I was teaching the course in Teams last term, and we used uh, Teams, which isn't as good for recording. Zoom is much better for recording. Um, the audio is fine, but the picture quality is kind of. Not as good, um, but I'm not sure why I don't use Bongo. Bongo is, you know, in language teaching, Bongo can be really useful. That that whole way of setting up a question, then the student answers and uploads their their video or their file of their you know, them answering the question in that you know the target language, which, which we do, of course, in German. That I think is a great. Um, I think that's a really good way of doing it. Twenty years ago, students would have to phone. Oh and answer the questions are they, <laughs> they have to send are they before that they'd send in cassettes with recorded answers.
0: yeah, what a pain
1: so bongo <laughs> bongo is a step forward in that regard
0: <laughs> so how do you how do you think about engagement when it comes to your your students when in your courses um how do you how do you how do you process that
1: uh well, there's a couple of things I try to do one thing is so. I base all the activities in these discussions. So I want them, um, so they they in this course that I'm teaching this term, CI 250, um, it, the they have a novel to read for each module, and so the, there's the expectation that they'll read it beforehand. Nah. <laughs> Great expectations by Charles well. Dickens. <laughs> And then, and then I provide, then I, uh, these, these aren't really literature students. They're coming It's kind of a general course. So the students coming from all different programs. So I want to provide them with um, material. And these, these novels are all based in basically human rights atrocities, a a novel about apartheid, a novel about uh, Germany and the Holocaust, a novel about residential schools, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a heavy kind of course. This is an emotional
0: course, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is, it is. is. But it's, but it's, but you know, some of the material we're reading is just first rate. And they, they, and then we'd watch a couple of uh, films too as part of this. So they, they, um, I want to provide them with um, contextualizing material that will um, kind of clue them in to the, to the situation they're dealing with in that, in that course. And I do a lot of that through, I do, I do some with me um, like writing kind of short kind of posts. And then, you know, here's summarizing this idea and then asking them a question about it. Or I, but what I more often do is I have them read other materials from a variety of sources. Uh, Some that'll give like some, sometimes it will be maybe a review of the novel that was critical and have them think about, you know, okay with that criticism do you think it's valid why why not or uh an historical piece where the american section right now we're doing like segregation and so what's the history of segregation in the u.s that jim crow laws and all of that and so they so they get a they 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 get that enhanced kind of uh background picture to the material that they're reading to the novel that they're reading and then they discuss it and i and the questions to engage them i don't Try to make the questions about, you know, about having the right answer, you know, mm-hmm. who won the war of 1812 is that kind of thing. But more like, excuse me, more like um discuss this. You know, where do you stand on this? What's how do you view this in terms, in terms of how, what kind of perspective can you bring to that question? And have them discuss that way. And so they, so what I'm hoping is that they'll engage with the material. And then through the discussion, they'll engage with each other's ideas, and and with their ideas, you know, I want them to think of, be thinking about the ideas that people are putting forward. It works, so, you know, some days better than others, with some readings better than others, with some students better than others. You know, there's there's a variety of things, but that's that's my main kind of engagement go to. Um, I. I for me, you know, you can have student-student engagement, you can have student-prof engagement, you can have student material or student content engagement. And for me, it's the student-content engagement is the one I'm most focused on. I'm not saying the other ones aren't important, but that's the one I'm thinking the most about because I really do want them to engage with the material. I really want them to learn things. and to And, to, and by the end of the course... I want them to know more than at the beginning of the course. I want them to be intellectually having some intellectual growth. I understand the importance of the social aspect of university and how the social, how the social atmosphere can, you know, helps create, you know, the community of in- inquiry, the model and, and the, and the social presence and how important that is for, for learning. And so I want it to be pleasant. I want them to feel, you know, comfortable in the course. I, I, I all of that, I understand, but I, it's that it's that student content engagement and interaction that to me is the most important or the one I focus my kind of energy on. I, um, I try to do things. So I, I, um, another way I try to get students to engage more with their, with the work is to get them away from, you know, get them, get their, get their minds off grades. Get uh-huh. their minds, get them away from disposable assignments, right, and and, and getting them, uh, getting them to do more kind of genuine work. Uh, so, this term as a way to try to do this, um, I'm at, they they have to create a learning portfolio for the end, like during term and at the end of the term, I will meet with them and discuss their learning portfolios. It's a small course, so it's time wise, it's manageable, and. They, as part of that learning portfolio, they have four essays that they do in the course, short essays, about a thousand words. And they do these four essays. And I uh what they do is they they so they do the essay for the the Canada module and they hand it in. I um mark it all up, you know. I I uh they I use an iPad and you know, use the inking feature on like uh Goodreaders, the app I use for that. And they um they provide me then with their, their essay. I kind of edit it for like copy editing kind of things like, you know, corrections, and spelling errors from and grammar. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've, you know, tried to explain what a paragraph is <laughs> you know, kind of those, <laughs> those kind of writing things. And then I, and then I provide commentary on, of course, they're, you know, what they're trying to say and what they're trying, the ideas they're trying to communicate. And I don't give them a grade. They only get comments. And then of those four essays, they get to revise two and they can revise. They can revise all four if they want. They're required to revise two and hand in the original, the revised copy and an explanation as to the revisions. Yeah, well, the professor said this and I disagreed. So I left it in, but he also said that and I agreed. So I changed it. And they hand that. That'll be part of their learning portfolio. And then when we discuss, we'll then discuss, you know, okay, well, what, how, you know, how well did you do on those essays? And I was, I hadn't tried this before. You know, this is, I guess the term for this is ungrading. And I've been reading a bit about ungrading and looking into, it, it, ungrading is like saying defunding the police. It, it, it's not necessarily that you're ungrading. You're not taking all the money away from the police. You're trying to say, less, how do we restructure police policing in our society? So how do we restructure, you know, grading and assignments and, you know, that in our society, in our educational society? And so I've done this. And I, as I said, I was doing these like sort of interviews with students, just checking in with them and seeing how they're getting along and poking them a little. Come on, get that learning portfolio started and what have you. And I've been asking them how they felt about getting the essays back. Because they've had, well, they've had at least, they've just handed in their third essay now. So they have one more to do at the end of term. And the the, res, the response has been uniformly positive and i was i was worried i thought but i need a grade i need a grade and i think they realize they don't need a grade they they need to hear comments they need to they need to read about they need to reflect on their writing and they need to be given the space to do that and the encouragement and the and the the, the it needs to be set up in such a way that they can do that i think this this approach maybe does that we'll see what the revised ones look like and see and see how much they are they able to to grow in terms of their um, understanding of their writing? But I, you know, for me to say, okay, hand in an essay, I'll provide comments on it and hand it back to you, and then you don't change anything; you just leave it be because it's done. the 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 The, the assignment is disposed of. I just um, and I and I feel I feel like in terms of skills development for our students, at least the students I'm teaching. I feel that the the ability to communicate uh, their thinking clearly is, is, is the one that they have the greatest trouble with.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it, it, I've, I've looked at, I've looked at ungrading myself. I've I've toyed with the idea of what it might look like in some of the courses that I teach. And, um, there's always going to be that that interesting conversation that I would have with my uh, coordinator and and yeah. <laughs> my associate dean about, okay, this is kind of the direction I want to go, and it and I'm not sure how that w- might fly, but it, it certainly speaks a lot to teaching them how to critically think and apply what they're learning, right? And. And isn't that the essence of what we're doing is that we're trying to make sure that they're actually learning stuff rather than re- just regurgitating it on a piece of paper that's going to be thrown out and and you know, whatever. Cause like yourself, right. I'm more concerned about them wrestling with the content in regards to the concepts that's in the content mm-hmm. rather than just regurgitating a bunch of information and definitions and all that other yeah. stuff. I'm not saying it's not important, I'm just saying for me it's less important. Yeah. Because if they're, if they're not using an open resource and they're buying this textbook, it, that textbook now becomes a resource for them, whether they sell right. it or keep it, that's up to them. But right. you know, I still have textbooks that I use to my master's degree that I still go back and look yeah. at as, yeah. as review documents, because right. quite honestly, I just can't remember. Right. Um, yeah. and, and that's what I try to communicate to, to my students is I'd rather you show me in a tangible way that you can demonstrate Understanding of the concept rather than tell me the definition of organizational behavior. Like, I, it's
1: just,
0: yeah. just kind of where I'm at. But
1: yeah. yeah, this is an interesting
0: process that you're talking about. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, and it's, we'll see at the end of term, we'll see what the final result of it is. We're just, this is the first time I've done it this way and with the students. But I, you know, the course I'm teaching is relatively small, it's about 20 students. So it gives me, um, i found it actually kind of liberating that I don't have to think about the grade <laughs> myself. Mm-hmm. I found it just much easier to say, just to, I'm just going to tell you everything I think here. And I'm going to talk to you about how you're writing. I'm going to talk to you about, you know, some of the things you're trying to do and, and how you need to, how you need to reorient your approach to this subject matter. Um, and, and, you know, and the writing about literature, which is, difficult because most students don't do a lot of work with literature. So it's even, that's a, that's an added kind of difficulty for them. And it's, I think what I, what I, what I'm sensing students are getting from it. Again, I'll have to find out at the end for sure. But what I'm sensing that students are getting out of it is that they're, they're, they're understanding. They're, they're, they're learning that, What's important here is for them to um, is for them to take on board these these criticisms and these comments and to, to reflect on them to see if that can't make them better if that can't help them improve their writing and to be and to be told you know it's no fun to be told hey you know this isn't working how you've written this and here's how you need to think about it here's what you should be thinking about doing. And 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 letting them know, and it's okay because there's no grade on this. We'll reflect at the end, and we'll see. Okay, to what extent have you grown in terms of, of your writing, and what to what extent have you reflected on, and kind of come to some understanding of, of 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 what's going on here? Can you say at the end of term that you understand more about how how your writing works than you did at the beginning of term? And giving them then that that freedom to. To, to To work at this without being overly anxious about the grade, the, will the grade at the end be much different than what they would get if they were just given, you know, the the you know the grade with each essay or something? I that I don't know. You could you could do an experiment, I guess, if you wanted to test the the what would change there. My suspicion is that um, they will they will understand that they they will see i hope when we sit down we discuss this and we kind of come up with a grade for them in the course they'll they'll start to see that grading can be a can be a genuine indicator of what's going on if it's backed up with lots of this you know like this whole process and and i'm hoping they'll they'll take that then that they'll look at the grade they get and say yeah that's a that's a really that really pinpoints in a number all of this all of this that i've learned about myself as a you know in this course or or about my skill in this course or something i'm not expressing that as 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 clearly as uh, a more uh, uh, eloquent person could but i think that's the 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 point is fairly uh, evident
0: yeah Um, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me because it's it's on well it is like Removing oneself as the gatekeeper and, in, and, and allowing themselves to be the mentor through the process.
1: That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it.
0: Cause I, I often have some international students that, that have a different perspective of my role than, you know, our, our, our domestic students would. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's, sometimes it's palpably different and, and,
1: well, yeah, it's almost it's like, like whatever,
0: whatever I say and whatever I write is just, it, it can, it can either lift them way, way like high or it, it'll crush them. Yeah. And, um, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. So at the at the end of this process, it sounds like you're doing a lot of dialogue with your students about where they mm-hmm. feel that they are in the process. And at the end, yeah. from beginning to end, for me, the sticking point is, okay, you do all this, but at the end of the term, I still have to plug in a, a, a letter grade.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. And I have to as well. So I so we'll um, we'll meet in the I think it's the third week of April. Our, our term is kind of later this year because they've they extended the Christmas break and they added more breaks during the term because of the pandemic. Um, so in the third week of April, they'll they'll come to me. They'll have sent me a link to their learning portfolio where they have to they have to uh, select learning moments from the course so from each module i'm expecting at least two learning moments where what did you learn here and explain that to me and then they provide the 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 revised essays and an essay about their learning in the course generally yeah so that's a fair bit of work that 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 learning portfolio essay will just be to help i i won't i won't Read it or i won't you know mark it up or anything i'll just read it to get a sense of who they are and that'll kind of form the basis of our discussion then when i meet with them so we'll meet and we'll discuss these things and i'll um and we'll talk about so where do you think you stand in terms of um your you know both both of what you both how you've how you've uh, grown intellectually in the term if you have and in terms of your kind of objective ability or your objective level of knowledge, and and I'm and and then I and I basically just have like we we use number grades at Waterloo, which mm-hmm. I find is unfortunate because I think it gives you a false sense of you know exactitude. I don't think you're that you know I don't think grading is that exact um, unless it's just all like multiple choice tests so then we so i have like five levels basically a plus a b c d and i i'll discuss with them well you know if you're a c student you're kind of you know and we'll talk about it and i'll i'll kind of let them know where i think they stand and they can let me know where they think they stand and um they'll they'll know that in the end i have the final i have the final right to decide but they'll they'll get from me then um a rationale as to why I've placed them in that category and that to help them I've I've the categories I've named them after um the Star Wars thing so um I forget what the um what's the first one there's then there there's the, the youngling then there's Padawan the yeah. Jedi Knight Jedi Master and Yoda <laughs> and, and so Yoda's the A plus and a student asked me well how many Yodas do you expect to give out, and I said, and "I said oh, there's only one Yoda." <laughs>
0: there's only one Yoda. Nice, nice.
1: But um, so I've tried to make it not you know, a little bit fun. to Try to kind of give them a sense of you know, yeah. How do you, you so you know as a a Jedi Knight is proficient, but a Jedi Master can teach to the Jedi Knight. So you know, so you to give them a sense of what does it mean to be at these levels in a way. Yeah. So we'll God. see how that works. Talk to you. Talk to me in a month. Yeah,
0: no, that'd be that'd be interesting. (laughs) Do you find that when you're talking to your students about their grades, do you find that they're lowballing themselves and they're 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 not giving themselves a a good enough estimate, or what do you find? I haven't.
1: Yeah, I haven't done this ungrading thing really that often yet. So it's so I, I suspect that that's often, and when you read in the literature, that's often the situation that they. That they lowball, and when I I last term, I actually did a version of this in this grad seminar, and most students Grad students are a little different; they're a little, you know, they're a little cockier. But um, (laughs) but uh, but but a couple really lowballed themselves. Oh, really? Yeah. The best student in the course, I thought the student I thought had really just was hitting every just hitting every mark. Uh, They they were they were just yeah they were just they were putting themselves way too low and I, now now he, he that person comes from a different uh discipline and maybe in that discipline you know the you know the, you know grades are not objective right so the, maybe the grades in that discipline are different than they are in in how what's expected in ours and what have you so yeah that it's but yeah when you read the literature a lot of students lowball themselves uh, and there's going to be a couple who you know they <laughs> think very highly of themselves and to see you know, i want them to have a i want them to have an like a like a, I want them to clearly see where 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 they where they have the you know what they've been able what they're able to do and what they need to to learn how to do i'm not trying to make them feel like they're stupid i'm just trying to say you know here's what you know and here's what you you know you should think about trying to learn this because i could help you in this and that and that's that's the point of that and I don't think you can do that with a, with a, like a number or a letter. I think that that is a dialogue of some sort.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And, and it almost seems to me like it, you're going to have a dialogue either way, whether you do it at the front end, like you're doing it, or you're going to do it at the mm. back end and trying to, trying to uh, defend and, and rationalize why they yeah. got this percentage or this mark or why, why you gave them this number out of this number.
1: Yeah.
0: I would, I would rather have that front end discussion than the back end discussion. Right.
1: I, I, uh, I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've, I've taught, so, like I do a lot of general ed teaching in our faculty. And the one time I, I one course I had to teach in that regard, um, I taught it for a few semesters, like, a, like over a couple of years. And the students in that course, for some reason, that, however, the students who were being attracted to that course, they always came. And asked for higher grades after they got their final grade. Not not all of them, but there would always be a handful every semester. They'd come to me and say, you know, and it would always and would be the students who did pretty well, but they wanted a higher grade. And they were just, they were fixated because they and they and they and inevitably they were students who were like at 78 or 79. They won't, could you give me an 80? I need an 80 to get into law school. or they get a an 88. I remember one student came with me and an 88 and said, can't can't you what can i do to get a 90 i need a 90 i'll do extra work i'll you know i'll do your laundry i'll do whatever it takes to get that 90 and i i just thought oh my gosh you guys are just you're this is crazy to be so so fixated on these queries. and it, and it's not entirely their fault either the way our system is set up the way we you know Yeah, you want to go to grad school, you need this average, and you want to get scholarships, you need this average, and you want to be in honors, you need this average, and we we bang that into them, too, so we're partially responsible as well.
0: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, James, we are nearing the end of our time together, and uh, it seems (laughs) like we just started.
1: But because well, uh, <laughs> I've been talking too
0: much, I'm sorry. Oh no, yeah, been talking great. This is awesome. Um, I'd like to uh, I'd, I'd like to end this episode with you with our with my Fab Five. And, oh yes, yes. And then uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we'll have you back in a couple months or six months and we'll more. talk more about, <laughs> talk more about you your. You can experience. tell I don't
1: mind talking. So. Yeah, no, it's all good.
0: <laughs> That's good. So all right. So let's get into the Fab Five. Sure. James, what's your favorite food?
1: My favorite food is a, a cake I bake called a gâteau touffé au chocolat. Basically a flourless chocolate cake. Oh. That, yeah. That's oh. great. Oh. <laughs> it's really good. It's okay. so good. Yeah. I, may, I may need
0: a recipe. Yeah, <laughs> um, i it to you. What's, what's your favorite movie or TV show?
1: Yeah. I, oh, gosh. Yeah, there's so many. There's so many movies that I've loved and TV shows. TV shows. I have to admit, I am a huge fan of the British. Uh, it was a, I think it was three seasons. It was Broadchurch. I don't know if you know Broadchurch. Um, it was with um, Olivia Coleman, who won an Academy Award recently for uh, a movie, and uh, David Tennant. He was one of the Doctor Who's, and he uh, he's a Scottish. He's a Scottish actor, and it's a little town in on the coast of England. And she's a local policewoman and he's he's recently come into the locale as the inspector in the locale and they have this uh, crime to solve of a of a boy who's been falling off this cliff. And they they don't think it's uh they don't think it's an accident. They think it was you know, they think something happened and they and they investigate that. And it's just it's so well done. I just it's nothing, it's not deep or anything, but it's the acting is fantastic. Uh, Olivia Coleman is just an amazing, should this character and, and then his character David Tennant said, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, it's available in different, I saw it in some streaming service. So maybe Netflix, I can't remember.
0: Yeah. That seems to be the most popular one for sure. <laughs> Good. James, what do you listen to when you want to just relax? What do you, what do you got going through your headphones?
1: i listen to i listen to a lot of podcasts but i don't find them that relaxing um i listen to um i uh like i have a subscription to like apple music you know like the apple's version of spotify and i like i like a lot of classical music and i so i've been what i've been listening to lately is that a number of different record companies have set up their own playlists within apple music and like the classical music um uh, classical recording companies like um Deutsche Grammophon, so of course the German ones. Deutsche Grammophon, <laughs> Deutsche Harmonia Undi, and these ones, and yep. some of their playlists. I just I'll, I'll listen to their playlists. Um, I like to listen to uh, have a bit of background music when I'm working sure. at home, and sure. I, I've I've really enjoyed those. Yeah.
0: So, who's your favorite classical uh, composer?
1: Um, I think. I, 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 I always go back to Bach, to Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, so Baroque composer, 1600s, um, uh, just, uh, just his, yeah, I just, I, uh, some of his church music is just, just, just transporting. Um, yeah, so I, that's, that's probably my favorite.
0: Very cool. I'm listening right now to uh, Beethoven's ninth symphony. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's. I love it, and just the background too of him being almost completely deaf and and composing it, and you know going up to the piano and and putting a pencil to his to his to his head as as he plucks. Oh,
1: to 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 feel the vibration. To feel
0: to feel the note, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. just okay. That's out of this world. Yeah, that is.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Uh,
0: James, what's your favorite tech that you're using right
1: now? My iPad. Yeah. I, um, I use it for like my marking. So the students hand in you know, that I use it as my e-reader. I do most of my reading now as an e-reader. I know probably not good for my eyes, but um, just so convenient. Um, And I use, like I use the, uh, the app uh, note shelf, which is like a a handwriting app. And I uh, use it as an, as my kind of my note takering. So it's become my notebook. You can do that in OneNote too in that, but I just, I just like the way note shelf kind of the interface. And I, so I, I use that all the time. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I find it so flexible and as a, as a, as a, a thing to use.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you said earlier that you use good when you're doing your uh, good
1: is <laughs> Yeah. It's a great app for um, Noteshelf does it as well where you can, you bring in PDFs and you can mark them up and things and then export them out, all marked up. And yeah, that, yeah. Good reader is a little easier because uh, for some of the stuff I'm doing with the course stuff, but note shelf does it pretty, does a really good job of that as well. Yeah.
0: Last question, James, who's mm-hmm. been the most influential person in your life lately?
1: Oh, you know, that's, yeah. I have to, this week, I've been thinking a lot about my mom. She died uh, nine years ago this week. And uh, so I've been thinking a lot about her and um, I have to admit, you know, so much of so many things in my, in my life, like certain values I definitely have for my mom and, and, and the way she you know, brought us up, you know, we were five kids. I was the, the, so I like to say I was the youngest and most most cherished of the five children. <laughs> um, she and so, you know, I just thinking about the certain like values of like, I've been feeling kind of lazy this week. I've been feeling like I've been procrastinating the past few days or something. And my mom was a hard worker and she you know, work, 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 and you know, and I and I yeah, I realized how much I how much I value that and and all those things. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about her this week, and and how what an influence well, both she and my dad, but uh, I've, I've had on my life. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, you're, you're
0: welcome. Here. Well, James, this has been good, and would uh, be awesome to have you back at another. Well, episode.
1: Like, Tim, it's been uh, it's been lovely chatting with you. I appreciate so much you having the patience to listen to me. Good. <laughs> <So> I <You're laughs> good. appreciate that quite a bit. <laughs>